The text for this morning's sermon is Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. A number of weeks ago, when we celebrated the Lord's Supper, we looked at Mark 2, the verses 1 to 12. And seeing as I needed one more sermon before we start looking into Advent sermons, I thought this would be a nice text to focus on as well. So Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. So that uh, he, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So far the reading of our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Many people today are looking for other people to follow them. And there's quite a few others who are trying to follow other people. I just go on social media and you'll see that this is true. Uh, go on Instagram, you can follow your friends and your favorite celebrities. Every account shows how many people that user is following and how many are following him or her. The same goes for Twitter, now known as X. I had a Twitter account once. At one point, I think I had 17 followers. I know, not exactly an influencer, but there's some that are. Some social media stars have hundreds of thousands, even hundreds of millions of followers. Quite astonishing. But this type of following is pretty shallow in the end, isn't it? There's one person in history that everyone should follow. That, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls everyone on earth to follow him. Now, I realize that following the Lord Jesus is, is a lot different than the following done on social media. That sort of following is mostly about popularity and entertainment. But perhaps that's the point. This is the type of following, following our Lord Jesus Christ, that is far more important and one that should capture our time and our attention. Christ Jesus is after a very different type of following. He doesn't care who is popular. He doesn't care about how many people are following you on Instagram. He's also not out to win fame and fortune. Christ Jesus calls all people to follow him, and that includes everyone here. And that's because every single person on earth 
needs him. Every single person needs him very badly. He calls all sinners to follow him to find life and to find salvation. So that brings us to the sermon theme this morning, which is as follows. Christ came to call sinners to follow him. We're going to look at, first of all, the call to sinners. Second of all, the response of the righteous, righteous in quotation marks. And finally, uh, we'll look at the mission of Christ. So far in the book of Mark, the ministry of the Lord Jesus has been outside of the spotlight in Israel. He's been stationed in in Galilee in northern Israel. Quite often he ministered in the town of Capernaum, right beside the Sea of Galilee. By the time of our text, Christ had already called his first disciples. This included Andrew and Simon Peter. It also included James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, these were honest hard-working Israelites. They might have been your typical uh, Jewish people in, in that day. And so, they were called to follow Jesus. And so far in Mark's gospel, Christ had done some wonderful things. He drove an evil spirit out of a man. He healed another person of leprosy. And right before our text, he healed a paralytic, also forgiving him his sins. But in our text here in Mark 2, verses 13 to 17, it's the first time in Mark's gospel that the Lord Jesus does something that outright offends other people. Yes, he raised some eyebrows when he healed the paralytic of his, or forgave the paralytic his sins. But here in our text, Jesus walked all over what was acceptable to most Jews of his day. Verse 13 and 14 puts it like this, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, also known as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi rose, and he followed Jesus. Now, as you may know, tax collectors were often despised. In Israel, they worked for the occupying Roman government. They collected revenue for the very nation that now controlled Israel. Not only that, but these tax collectors were Jewish. It felt like a betrayal of the people of God and the nation of Israel. Not only that, but many of them overtaxed their fellow Israelites in order to pad their own pockets. It felt like a double whammy of disloyalty and thievery. And yet, as the Lord Jesus walks by this particular tax booth, he calls this man, Levi, a tax collector, to be his disciple. But that's not all. It gets even worse. Christ went into Levi's home, and he ate a meal with him. Now, it would be one thing for the Jews if Jesus went into his home to scold Levi for being a tax collector. But in this culture, especially, eating a meal with someone was a sign of fellowship. 
And Levi was not the only person there. Verse 15 says that many tax collectors and sinners reclined with Jesus and his disciples for that meal. And so we might wonder, maybe the Jews wonder, who is following whom here? Christ called Levi to follow him. It seems like Jesus is following this tax collector right into the, ver- into the wrong crowd. To your average Jew, might have seemed to go against Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Doesn't it go against that? But the reality is that Christ was in no way defiling himself by calling Levi, nor by reclining for this meal with these other sinners and tax collectors. Christ called sinners to himself. It says here that many followed him. And the call that Christ gave back when he was upon the earth still goes out today. Come learn from the teacher. Come follow the Savior. Come join the ranks of his disciples. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. Christ calls you as an individual here this morning to follow him. The Lord Jesus does not call only the so-called decent people of the world. He's not interested only in the religiously inclined. His call is not reserved for the polite or the proper. It goes out to everyone and anyone. All sinners are called to follow the Lord Jesus. Murderers are called to follow Christ. Sexually deviant people are called, called to follow Jesus. This includes chronic liars, kleptomaniacs, gossips, gamblers, biker gangs, fraudsters, people who struggle with envy, people who are filled with pride, people who can't get their lives together, people who seem to have it all together. It doesn't matter. Christ's call goes to everyone. Neither is the Lord Jesus interested only in people from a certain culture, nation, or race both black and white, both Russian and Ukrainian, both Jewish and Palestinian. Christ is king over all, so all are called. So then, that also um, calls us to respond. Respond to that call. Matthew, or Levi, sorry, he responded, So what are you waiting for? Don't think you're too sinful to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Don't think that you don't have what it takes. Well, you don't have what it takes in yourself. But God can give that. Don't count yourself unqualified or undesirable. Follow the Savior. Listen to his words. Come to him. Now, why do you think these words are written down in scripture here yes they're written so that we can know something of who jesus is 
but they're also written down so that we might respond in the same way as Levi and these other tax collectors and sinners. We would follow the Lord. We would not ignore His call, but come to Him and learn from Him. That brings us to the second point. So the call of the Lord Jesus goes out to everyone. As we see here in Mark, many of the tax collectors and sinners responded. But not everyone in Israel liked that. It offended their categories of who was in and who was out. It grated against their displeasure toward those who seemingly betrayed Israel. Wouldn't Jesus eating with these sorts only promote that behavior? One group who responded badly were the scribes of the Pharisees. And they felt compelled to ask Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? To them it was obvious that this was a no-no. How could someone claiming to be a rabbi make such an obvious blunder? Now it's good to ask, why did they have this reaction? What's at the root of it? Well, at root of it, they are living by, uh, from a works righteousness mindset. They relate to God in terms of their own righteousness. And so they relate to each other in the same way, and it makes sense. When you have a works relationship to God, you will extend that same works righteousness to other people. And those who measure up are welcomed into the in-crowd. Those who don't are excluded. Now, it might be easy for us to dismiss these Pharisees in our text, saying, oh, they're obviously wrong. But let's look at it from a slightly different perspective. Think of this in terms of the Old Covenant. And this text does take place while the Old Covenant was still in effect. That sometimes we forget that as we're reading the New Testament Gospels because they're in the books that we can call the New Testament. But this is Old Covenant times. And during the Old Covenant, invaders took over Israel at various points when Israel was unfaithful to God. Think of the Babylonians invading Israel, uh, making a conquest. Think of the Assyrian invasion of Israel. And God told Israel through the prophets he sent that he had sent these conquerors in response to Israel's sin. And so what about during the time of Christ? The Romans were now in control of the land. Didn't that show God's displeasure towards Israel because of their sin? And yet here were these sinful people collecting taxes for the Romans, and surely their greedy tax collecting only increased God's displeasure towards the people, did it not? Imagine some of the Jews collecting taxes for the Babylonians or the Assyrians. Would we view them differently then? Again, we tend to view these stories in the Gospels differently than the stories in the Old Testament, but we shouldn't. Mark chapter 2 happens during the Old Covenant times. Perhaps that makes it easier to see how people could blame these tax collectors and sinners for their Roman occupation of the Promised Land. But how do we escape from this sort of mindset? Well, the first thing is to see that these scribes and Pharisees had a misunderstanding of God's covenant. 
Yes, God gave the law to Israel and his covenant with them. Yes, it was their privilege to be God's special covenant people. But the giving of the law to Israel did not mean they were righteous in themselves. What's one reason why he gave the law? Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy, the law is not for the righteous, but for all kinds of sinners. And God gave his law to all his people in order to show all his people their own sin. The teachers Paul addresses in 1 Timothy 1 had missed this. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they certainly had missed this too. They thought they were righteous in themselves, but they were not. God gave us his law not so that we would enter into a works-righteousness relationship with him, but he gave it also to, sh- he gave it to show us our sin and our need for His grace and His forgiveness. And throughout salvation history, whether it be in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, God's people have always gained a righteous standing before God by faith. That's Paul's very point in the book of Romans. Consider Romans 1, the gospel by which we gain a righteous standing. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. There's Romans 3, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Whether it be in the Old Testament times or New Testament times, we gain our righteous standing by faith, not by our works. These scribes in our text had missed that. And that's why they could not bear the thought of a Jewish rabbi eating with tax collectors and sinners, graded against all of their categories. And can you see the effect of their wrong thinking? It broke down fellowship in Israel. They would never dream of eating with these people. Their works righteousness had created a barrier between them and their fellow Israelites. Well, guess what? A works righteousness mindset will create similar barriers still today in the church. You take on the same mindset as these Pharisees, you're going to have a hard time with fellow church members who don't measure up. And maybe you find yourself in that way of thinking already. Oh, I could never eat with this person or that person. Just goes beyond the pale of whom I will associate with. A works righteousness mindset will destroy fellowship in the church. And understand this. This is a sword that cuts both ways. Maybe you nod your head in agreement with this message where you think, yes, we need to uproot a Pharisee mindset in the church. And maybe you don't mind having fellowship with people who might be labeled the undesirables. But what about the person in the church whom you view as a Pharisee? Will you shun that person instead? The Lord Jesus, he ate with the Pharisees too. Will you scold him for that, saying, Why is the Lord Jesus eating with Pharisees? Will you avoid another person because you think they're too legalistic? 
In the end, it's the same root, it's the same fruit. It's an avoidance of fellowship based on performance. We can all be guilty of these sins. If we want to avoid fellowship with anyone here, think about it. Is there a works righteousness mindset behind it? A good check for all of us. Now, what's the cure to all of this? Well, at the bottom, we all need to understand the mission of our Lord Jesus. That's what the Pharisees failed to see. This is also what our text is teaching us. Brings us to our last point. Now, these scribes here in our text had a faulty understanding of who the Christ would be. Remember, another name for the Christ is the Messiah. This would be the anointed king and savior of God's people, the one that the prophets spoke about, the one that people were waiting for. This is the one God had promised to send. The scribes and Pharisees probably thought that when the Christ came, he would come to the righteous in the land. After all, he would be a righteous king. He would probably gather around himself people like the Pharisees. They were the righteous ones, were they not? Surely he would never gather around him, himself the social outcasts like sinners and tax collectors. They also looked for this Messiah to restore the land to Israel once more. But this thinking represented a false understanding of Christ's mission. The Lord Jesus shows that to us in our text. Having heard the scribes question to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus himself responded by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what he says first is obvious. Healthy people don't need to be treated by a doctor. No one seeks knee replacement surgery when their knees are perfectly fine. No one goes to urgent care for stitches when they don't have any wounds. No one uses crutches all day when their legs and feet are healthy. But when you are truly sick or injured, that's when you're grateful for a doctor. If you really need medicine, you'll visit the doctor to get a prescription. If you break your arm, that's when you go to get a cast to protect and heal the bone. The truly sick and injured, they need a doctor. And the Lord Jesus uses that image to describe his mission. What rings true for sick people and doctors also rings true for sinful people and the Lord Jesus. Those people need help. They need healing. They need rescuing very badly. And if they don't, they will not just die in this life, they will die eternally. So that's why Christ came, not to call the righteous, but sinners to himself. Now, when the Lord Jesus says this, let's be clear about one thing. We must understand what he is not saying. He's not implying with these words that the scribes of the Pharisees, 
were somehow righteous and did not need the Lord Jesus and his saving work. He was, wasn't telling them they had no need to follow Christ, far from it. But he does speak these words so that we would understand his mission. Christ came to a world full of sinful people who need to be rescued, and that includes you. He came to people who were all alike slaves to sin and Satan. He came to people who were dead in sin, had no hope of saving themselves. Christ Jesus came to call sinners. Think of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Christ displayed perfect patience to the, the Apostle Paul, who was once like these Pharisees in our text, but even more. He served as an example to everyone who would believe in Christ for eternal life. That's why he came, so that sinners like you and me might find mercy in him. This is how it is in the church of Christ. The Lord Jesus and building his church is not forming a club of pretty good people. He calls all sinful people to himself commands us to follow him. Now, let's be clear on something else that the Lord Jesus is not saying. He's not saying it's okay for us to continue on embracing our old lives of sin. Think of this in terms of the the doctor metaphor again. What does a doctor want to do to his patients? He wants to bring them healing. That's what Christ wants to do with us too. Bring us spiritual healing. Wants to surgically remove the disease of sin from our hearts and our lives. And when he calls us to follow him, he at the same time calls us to forsake our old sinful ways, to turn our backs on them, to now devote our lives to him. This is his call. Our text describes Christ's mission not only when he was on earth, but also today. So this means the church is going to be made up of imperfect people, people who need spiritual healing and are not yet righteous in themselves. Think of this in terms of the first disciples here in our text, thinking particularly of Andrew and Simon Peter, together with James and John, Christ had already called them. They were following the Lord Jesus. They obeyed that call. But now, as they followed the Lord Jesus, Christ called more people to himself. And here they are in this text, because of Christ, brought into fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. Let me tell you, This likely put them way out of their comfort zone, too. Maybe they weren't particularly thrilled about this either. They had to get used to a new way of thinking. The Lord Jesus came to call sinners to himself. 
And so if we are going to follow the Lord Jesus, that means we are going to be brought into fellowship with other imperfect people. People with people whom we don't naturally seek fellowship. Maybe people we don't really enjoy being around in themselves. As a disciple of Christ, are you willing to do that? To associate with the lowly and the weak, people who don't seem to offer you anything or who might put you out of your comfort zone. Christ calls us to be the church where everyone is called to follow the Lord and where everyone who does follow Him is treated in love as a brother or sister in the Lord. Beloved, we're all in need of His saving work. And it's through that saving work we will enjoy true fellowship with each other. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 81, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, 5, and 7. <laughs>